chapter 13 today, and we are rapidly coming to the end of this book. Two more weeks after today, and uh, we say sayonara to the Gospel of Mark. We, uh, we know that it won't leave us, but we'll move on from it. And so just grab hold and allow these words that we're hearing from Jesus. And then as Mark recorded them a number of years later, 30, 40 years later, um, as, they were, as he was writing them for his church, these people who were continuing to struggle and grow in their faith, uh, so they are relevant for us today and so helpful for us today. And today we come to chapter 13, a, a, uh, a wonderful chapter, a, a chapter that as I, as I began to read it and then read some commentaries about it, one, one author just said, uh, perhaps the hardest chapter in the Gospel of Mark to interpret. And I said, well, that's great. That's not a very good start, but uh, I think as Doug reminded us this morning, we'll find some some truths that are right on the surface that we dare not miss. Well, um, as as many of you did, and Mark referenced this, many of you did on Tuesday night, I I too gathered around the TV to watch the results of what was happening in our nation and locally in terms of our elections um, for president and a number of senators and representatives and Assembly people and supervisors and school board members and you name it, propositions and measures and everything else that we got to cast our, our ballot for. And again, I, I, many of you, like I said, watched uh, the results come in. I do want to take a moment, Mark references, I do want to take a moment just to take us back to August when uh, the primaries were just kicking up and we, or not the primaries, but the conventions, and we... Uh, I, I preached a little series. Do you remember this, anybody? That uh, Dear Mr. President, and, and just thinking about the promises that we can make to a president. Just realizing that whoever had been elected, many of their promises would not have been kept over the next four years, but uh, just kind of the nature of the beast. But we, as the followers of Jesus, can make certain promises. Not only can we, but we must if we're to be followers of, of Scripture. And so just those simple reminders, now that we have a president elected for another four years, that we're to pray for our president, we're to respect and submit to our president, to our leaders, and uh, we're to love our president. We're to love our leaders with the love of Christ that he fills us with. So just a little reminder uh, of that, Uh, and again, as Mark alluded to, however you feel about the results Uh, These are our marching orders as followers of Jesus, who, as uh, Michelle Fitch is often uh, uh, apt to say, these are marching orders from Jesus, who, as it turns out, is still Lord of all. Well, what what do you know? What do you know? Jesus is still Lord. And uh, we praise God for all of that. Anyway, I, I huddled around the TV, and I think my favorite thing in the night was Wolf Blitzer. I don't know if any of you watch CNN, but I watched CNN for a portion of the night anyway. And I mean, people would be, you know, the talking heads would be yap, 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 and suddenly, boom, 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 we have a major projection to make. Idaho is going to Mitt Romney. And I'm like, really? Is that really major? Did it really deserve all the music and everything? It's four electoral votes. I'm not really sure how significant that really was. And then like 10 seconds later, they'd be talking again, and boom, 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 we have a major projection to make. Oregon is going to Barack Obama. 
all of their eight electoral votes or whatever it was. I, I just, I mean, it cracked me up, and maybe I'm not supposed to laugh about these things, but we, we watched, and the numbers were adding up, and my kids love math, and so they're like, 270, okay, what's it going to take, and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, finally, the moment came, and then it was time for my kids to go to bed. You know, lucky them, right? I mean, it's nice to be young sometimes. You can just go to bed. Um, the rest of us, we had to stay up and just kind of keep watching and just listen to people talk about it more and more. And, and we had to wait because Governor Romney was taking forever to come out and give his speech. And then we had to wait even longer to wait for President Obama to come out and give his speech. And we had to watch all these people, you know, waving their streamers and dancing around and acting like this is the, you know, the greatest thing that's ever happened. And maybe to them it was, and that's fine. But, uh, I have to admit that by the time President Obama finally came out, I was getting tired. And I really wanted to hear him what he had to say. And I, I was just kind of, you know, I'd gone from this to this on the couch, you know, and then, then it was this. And, and I just was trying to wave my streamer, but I just didn't have it in me. Until he got about halfway, maybe a quarter into his speech, and I'm like, Maybe like some of you are this morning as I get ready to preach, thinking to myself, how long is this going to go? <laughs> just, <laughs> just how long actually is this going to go? And uh, so I think I just looked at my wife and said, honey, I, I, I pray for, I respect, and I love my president, but I got to go to bed. And uh, I'm out of here. And so I, I did. This is the challenge for us with many things, is it not? Whether it's waiting for something to happen on TV, something to happen in our family, something to happen on the job, something to happen uh, with our friends, something to happen in society. We have a tough time staying alert, staying awake, staying ready, staying just you know on, on edge and, and ready to respond and react and dialed in to actually what's happening. There's so many things in our world, whether it's sleep, whether we're just tired, whether it's other activities or distractions, so many things to pull us away from being tuned in to what's happening and, and what's most important in the world that's, that's all around us. Even when it comes to watching the movements of God in the world, we struggle to stay alert, to watch with expectation and with hope and it is so easy, friends, to be lulled into just kind of this drowsy state of living where we just go from one day to the next day, from crisis to crisis, from situation to situation, and before we know it, days have gone by and weeks have gone by and years have gone by, and what have we, what have we done? What have we paid attention to? And Jesus... Knew, the, knew this about us. And so in the passage that we want to look at from Mark today, he talked with his disciples and he talks to us about the importance of watching, and the importance of waiting. So I'm going to jump to the end of chapter 13, actually, because I think Jesus tells a little story there, a little illustration at the end of chapter 13 that kind of highlights or at least summarizes a lot of what he says in the chapter. And then we'll, we'll dive back into little portions of of earlier in the chapter, but beginning at verse 32 of chapter 13. And let's go ahead and stand together if we can while I read this portion to us. Beginning at verse 32, reading to the end of the chapter at verse 37, uh, it says this, and at the end I'll just say this is the word of the Lord and you can say thanks be to God. 
You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Verse 32, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. All in the middle of the night, if you notice that. Uh, If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Biblical scholars are actually divided on uh, what Jesus is talking about here. As I said earlier, it's a difficult chapter and even section to interpret. Many, of course, believe that he's talking about the day of his return. That Jesus is talking here about the second coming, the, as theologians call it, the parousia, the appearance, the second appearance of, of Jesus. Um, when the Bible talks about the day, it's often talking about that day when God will judge the world and set all things right and Jesus will return and, and, uh, and rule and reign uh, forever. Uh, other scholars, though, including N.T. Wright, and I mention him because those of you who are going to be participating in our growth groups this week, he's the one who wrote the material that our growth groups are studying, um, have a different perspective and think about this a little bit of a different way. So I wanted you to be ready for that. Because they they believe that uh, first and foremost what Jesus is talking about here and throughout chapter 13 is really what he was talking about in chapter 12 and what he was talking about in chapter 11 and kind of what's been going on in the context of this entire chapter. And that is that, that he's talking of that day when the temple in Jerusalem would be judged. When the temple in Jerusalem and all of uh, Jewish thought and religious practice to that point would be judged as, as failed, as, as not meeting the requirements. And God would see it and see how the religious leaders had taken uh, what he had intended for them and for the temple from the beginning completely off track, and God would judge that. And uh, in fact, he, he did that. Uh, if that's the, the case, then then we actually know that that happened in about A.D. 70 in a war between the Romans and the Jews. The temple was destroyed. And Jerusalem was ransacked. And, uh, and, and it was not a, a pretty sight. That judgment did happen. Whatever the case, and it's possible actually that Jesus had both of these days in mind uh, when, he said, when he spoke like this. It's possible that he wanted us to think uh, first and foremost about that activity for those who were right there around him in that time, but that he wanted people for all time to think about that day of his ultimate return. Whatever the case, the stage is set in this chapter for Mark to make the point that he really wants to make and that we really need to all be sure and catch on to this morning, uh, both then and for us now, and that is that Christians, as we live in the world today, are to be awake, are to be alert, and to be on guard, to be watching for how God is working 
in our midst even right now, what he's up to in the world, where he is, is on the move, in a sense, and to be watching for that day when Christ will come again, when God will set all things right, when God will judge the world. We're to be watchful, wide awake to where God is leading. Just as the night watchman is given the task. You know, I love it though. Jesus tells the story. The owner goes away and he gives everybody a task and he gives this one guy, you're at the door. Keep an eye out for me. I'm coming back. Just as this night watchman has been given this, this uh, task of looking out for the owner's return, these disciples were to be looking out for the day of judgment on the temple. And we as Christ's disciples are to be looking out for his return and his work as well. Um, Jesus' words at the end of the chapter, I read them, but you can look back in your scripture, verse 37, really are appropriate to us today as they have been, as appropriate to us today as they to us today as they ever have been to anyone, simply when he said, What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Watch. Be alert. Be awake. The question becomes for us. What do we do while we're watching? Or how do we watch? In what fashion do we watch? In what fashion are we to be awake or to alert and to be alert? And as I think back and look back over this chapter, there's a couple of ideas that emerge to us that I want to just point out to us as we look at this chapter this morning and make our way through chapter 13. First of all, the chapter makes clear that while we wait, we are to stand firm in the struggle. Stand firm in the struggle. While we're waiting, it's not going to be easy. And it wasn't going to be easy for these Christians in Jerusalem as they waited for what was going to happen to the temple. And it's not going to be easy, Jesus would suggest, for Christians today as we await God's ultimate judgment over all things. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be simple. Jesus essentially promises to His people that they will follow in uh, the exact pattern and path that He would walk and has now walked. Uh, let's look at this. Chapter 13, still verses 1 to 13, and we can go back and pick up some of this, and you can see a little bit more of what I'm talking about. Let me read for you there at verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Historians tell us that, that the temple actually was one of the most magnificent buildings known to man in that day. Herod had, had poured money into it, actually, the, the, the rulers, and they poured money into it, just made this beautiful temple. And so, I mean, you can just kind of, this disciple is just amazed. They're leaving the temple, and he said, look at this temple, look at these great buildings. It was like a, a campus, this huge, it was like Saddleback or some, you know, some big old. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. How do you think that disciple felt <laughs> at that moment? Oh, right, yeah. They're not so good anyway, are they? Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen 
And what, is the, and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? In other words, when will, when will the temple be destroyed? When will these things, when will the temple, when will these stones be torn down? When will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. In other words, these are non-signs. These are not signs of when it will happen. Don't be alarmed when that happens. Wars and rumors of war, it's been going on forever. Um, so don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. Again, been happening forever. And famines. Again, normal circumstances of humanity. These are the beginning of birth pains, Jesus said. Verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the, at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Again, Jesus is promising here in these verses that we've looked at, promising to his disciples that they're going to walk the same path that he will walk, that he has now since walked. There will be many things that happen. Again, these wars and earthquakes and famine that necessarily shouldn't alarm them, Jesus says. But it'll be a heads up. And it'll be a heads up that there's persecution and violence and threats still to come. There's be, there will be betrayal, Jesus says. There'll be hatred. All, Jesus says, because of me. This would happen as we read into the book of Acts, we see many of these things, these things came true. We, we see many Christians who were persecuted, put to death, uh, threatened. We see these things happen all in that time span between when Jesus pre predicted this and when the temple finally fell in AD 70. All of this was happening right in, in this time. It would happen again, and it was happening even as Mark was collecting these words and distributing them to his church. Christians were being persecuted. And so this was very live. I mean, this was, this was happening right now, as a matter of fact, to the, to the recipients of, the first recipients of, God, of Mark's gospel. And uh, the reality is it's pretty live today. Uh, the crisis of the temple came and went in AD 70. It was destroyed and, and we moved forward. But the reality is, is that as we wait for God to act even today, we got to stand firm in the struggle. We've got to stand firm in the struggle. And there's folks all around the world that we've talked about already this morning that uh, are, are really struggling. But whatever the case, wherever we live, we must all be expectant. We must all be aware that persecution can come. There will be struggle this this world is not friends with God. We sang that other, I'm a friend of God. Well, this world is not friends with God. But we can stand firm. I just want to 
give a couple more examples of what's going on around the world in terms of persecution. I, lighting the candles is so vivid and helpful for us. Um, but a couple of countries just stood out to me in particular that I've already mentioned. One was North Korea. And uh, there's 20 million people in North Korea and about 400,000 Christians. So that's uh, 2% of the population is Christian in North Korea. Um, so I, it, we can't do this unless we kind of enlarge the numbers a little bit. So um, we're going to pretend that there's 200 people in this room right now. Okay, There's probably about a little less than 100, but... but we're going to pretend there's 200 in this room. If, if there were 200 people in this room, then um, can I get you three and Robin? You just stand up. These are the Christians in North Korea. All right, imagine another 100 people in this room, and, and these are the Christians. Right? So 2% of the population are Christian. The other interesting thing is that a quarter, 25% of the Christians are in forced labor prison camps in North Korea. So you guys decide which one of you gets to go to labor camp. All right, Nicole went to labor camp. Sit down, sit down. You're in labor camp. So now there's 3% or less, I mean, three out of 200, you know, uh, percentage-wise, less than 2% now Christians in North Korea persecuted suffering, struggling, under constant threat. This is just a vivid, stark reminder. And we, we chuckle because we sent, but this isn't laughing, a laughing matter. 100,000 North Koreans are in prison camp today because of their faith. That's shocking to us. You can all have a seat. Thanks. Um, the other one that struck out to me again was Somalia, and I've, I've known about the situation in Somalia for a number of years because I heard a missionary speak a while ago about what was going on there, and uh, he, he told a story that I couldn't believe, but he told a story about how a spouse, a husband, became a Christian in Somalia but couldn't tell his wife. He couldn't tell his wife because if he told his wife, then she would be forced to tell just because of her obligation to... The, the law, the Muslim law, she'd be forced to tell her father who would tell the other guys and they would come and kill her husband. And so they can't, they, they live their Christianity in complete secrecy, which goes against everything that Scripture wants us to be about and everything that is really happening in the life of a, of a follower of Jesus. You just want to share in the life that you've found and yet they have to live in complete secrecy. In fact, the largest grouping of Christians that's known in Somalia is five. So that's the network that these Christians in Somalia get to experience. Five. Five people. And praise God for those five, but most Christians in Somalia live completely isolated, completely alone, completely under threat of execution. In fact, it was in 2010 that at least eight Christians in Somalia were killed. And uh, more even uh, since then. Um, so uh, we, we're praying for these, these countries. We're reminding, being reminded of that. And I, and I want us actually just to take a moment. Um, just, I want you to get with five other people or four other people. So I, I'd love to have groups of five. Just we're going to do this for five minutes. 
but groups of five to pray for the persecuted church. And we might even not do it for five minutes, but let's do this for three minutes. Groups of five representative of the group in Somalia. So you might have to cover some ground. I appreciate that. Get together. Groups of five. And pray for Somalia. Pray for North Korea. Pray for those in prison camp. Pray for those in Saudi Arabia that are under threat. Pray for those in Uzbekistan. Pray for those in China. Just take a moment here. We need one more over here. Anybody left out? Anybody more than... Okay. Go. God, we remember our brothers and sisters today all around the world, and particularly those in areas, nations, where they're suffering persecution and uh, are caught right in the struggle. And we pray for those that are living daily under the threat of execution, uh, of great loss, of prison, of suffering. We pray for families that have been torn apart. We pray for governments that are hostile to the, the gospel. We pray for efforts of those within the countries and those on the outside who are reaching and extending the, the good news of Jesus to these places. And we pray, God, that, that uh, there, would be, there would be opportunity, there would be freedom, that it wouldn't be, by any means, just forced or uh, pushed upon folks, but there would be opportunity for Christians in these countries to worship freely and for others to have the opportunity to know the life that is found in Jesus. And so uh, we, we do just remember these nations as we celebrate our own freedoms today. We, uh, we want to not neglect to pray and to remember our brothers and sisters. These are our family members. These are our moms and dads, our brothers and sisters around the world, our family, the family of, of God. And uh, we... We remember them today. Thank you for their, their, uh, their standing firm in the midst of struggle. And may they be a model, a pattern, an example to us today in the midst of whatever struggle we may face. We give you thanks, God. Amen. You can go back to your seat or you can just sit right there next to somebody, a new friend maybe you just met this morning. Just snuggle up. It'll be great. The... Uh, the second thought that I picked out of this passage of Scripture was just this, that, um, that while we wait, not only do we need to stand firm in the struggle, but we need to have hope for the future. Have hope for the future. Is that one there? Somewhere? There it is. Um, these are tough days, and there's um, no doubt about it, Jesus did not want his disciples to be misled. If Jesus can never be accused of the old bait and switch. You know, he did not say, hey, come follow me. Everything will be awesome. It will just be great. It will be neat. Now he said, follow me. Pick up your cross while you're at it. And there's going to be suffering and potential persecution along the line. So we're thankful that he's honest, Right? Um, but we also have to deal with that reality. No bait and switch going on, not an invitation to a life of ease. Uh, in fact, if you look at verse 19, we're not going to read this whole section, but if you look at verse 19, um, again, this is, most again think that this is, well, Christians have interpreted this all kinds of ways, but um, most, if we just look, take it at face value, this is in those days leading up to the destruction of the temple. He says this, because of 
because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. I mean, this was a, these were tough days. But after these days, Jesus is clear to say that there will come a day when God will set things right and uh, when, when Jesus will have his way. The, uh, the, the temple will be destroyed. A wonderful symbol, actually, for what God is doing even now, just clearing out the old. Remember that little phrase, a little verse that Paul wrote? Uh, the old has gone and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's talking about the old is gone. We, we messed that up. The temple and the old way of Jewish doing stuff is not working and so the old is gone the new is here in Jesus and the day will come this passage wants to tell us where Jesus will reign and rule completely Uh, Jesus and all that he taught all the arguments and debates that he had with the religious leaders he will be vindicated he will be proven His, his resurrection and his ascension and his sitting on the at the right hand of the Father in heaven, will vindicate everything that He has said and everything that He's done. In fact, look over verse 26. I think maybe I have this for you. And it says this. Um, at that time... In fact, let's read this together. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. What this is telling us is that there will be that day when Jesus will reign completely. And we're not sure, again, we we try to interpret this stuff. Honestly, we're not exactly sure if that's talking about Jesus coming or Jesus going to heaven. How exactly what you have your ideas, I'm sure. But but what what we know for sure is that, that, that Jesus will reign. That he will rule completely. And he'll do exactly what, remember what the temple has done? I talked about this a little bit last week. That the temple that was meant to just proclaim the wideness and the love of God to everyone had become this exclusive club almost just for the religious leaders. And it, it kind of pushed out. Well, did you see what this says? It said that Jesus would rule and reign. He'd rule in the clouds from heaven. And they would send out his angels to the four corners to gather Everybody up who would believe in him. That's the elect. Anyone who would believe in him. Jesus is just, the old is gone, the new has come. It's all in him, and he's going out to welcome the whole world. God sent his son. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. These verses that we're familiar with. We have hope that Jesus is doing even some of this now, the already but the not yet. We have hope that Jesus is accomplishing His work. He'll continue this work until the day of His, uh, his coming. And because we can have hope for the future, this is the last thing I want to just kind of drill down on for just a moment. Because we can have hope for the future, then, then that leads Jesus to say in the portion of Scripture that we already read no one knows the day nor the hour. Because we can have hope 
for the future. We can know that Jesus will rule and reign. Then we don't have to know. We don't have to worry about when, for these original listeners, when the temple would be destroyed, or for us today, when Jesus will come again. In fact, every moment that we spend, every book that is written, every dollar that is spent to try and discover when Jesus, when that day will be, is a complete waste of time. Can I get an amen? Thank you. I asked Kyla this morning, I'll tell you what I asked her. I'm, I didn't do this, but I asked her if I could bring the recycle bin, recyclable bin up here onto the platform and just like ceremonially throw our library copies of the Left Behind series into the recycle bin. Some of you, that's like, uh, you can't believe I just said that. I, I didn't do that, but it would have been a pretty vivid point to make, wouldn't it have been? Some of you are like, those are my favorite books, Pastor James. I can't believe you're saying that. Um, But I'm just looking for this quote. One author said this. He said, the history of Christianity is littered with the failed predictions of those who claim to be able to unlock the mystery of Mark 13 and similar passages. Read the signs of times and forecast the return of Christ. Scripture repeatedly and explicitly warns against this. So, we can have hope for the future that is not built on a timetable or a a methodology of how this is all going to work out or what verse refers to what thousand years and this. And I have told many of you, my theology professor in seminary, he, he... said, I'm not a pre-millennialist, I'm not a post-millennialist, I'm a pan-millennialist. And we all said, what does that mean? He said, I just believe it'll all pan out in the end. (laughs) And uh, I'm pretty partial to that statement of the Church of the Nazarene in our Articles of Faith that just basically says, we believe that Jesus Christ will return. Next. (laughs) And uh, so... I know some of us like to dig into all this stuff, but really, um, I, I, I just, can we stop? I, I, I'm hoping I'm not offending anybody, but go ahead and, and start reading your Bible more than our Left Behind books. You know? So, the birth pains, right? Just getting going. Who knows? Could be, could not be. How do you define the end times? I mean, there's all sorts of questions that arise from that, but instead of of focusing there, as Jesus even says, and this causes all kinds of problems for us as well, He says, nobody knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father in heaven. So let's let's set that aside. Um, What we can do is stand firm in the struggle. What we can do is have an amazing hope for the future. What we can do is live with a fresh commitment to be faithful in these days to God, to not compromise with the standards and fashions of our present age, but to keep awake, alert, watching, waiting. Let's all stand. God, thanks for uh, the, the promises.
that uh, we read of here. And these were some hard words we imagine for the disciples to hear, the people of that day to hear from Jesus. That, that everything that they had known, the systems of their religious world were going to be completely uh, uh, just made new. Just, just the old moved out and the, the new was coming in. And, and maybe it's kind of hard for us to think about too, God, but that someday all that, all that uh, this world is about and all that it stands on and all that it, uh, it works for in many ways, will be moved out. You'll, you'll come and you'll, you'll make it right. And uh, we look forward to that day with great hope. But in the meantime, God, we, by the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit, we commit ourselves today to stand firm in the struggle. Uh, while we're praying for folks around the world, we're praying for ourselves today that we would be a model, that we would be an example to our children and to those all around us of what it looks like to stand firm in our faith. Thank you for your faithfulness to us today, God. Thank you for the future, for the hope that we have in you today. We hold on to it with all that we are, and we worship you in Jesus' name.